Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and trust that you are enjoying this series we're doing from the Gospel of John. Uh, we are just going to take our time with this because I love to get in the Word and just dig around and just there's some, some nuggets that I have found that are just treasures that I want to share with you. If you'll just maybe grab yourself another cup of coffee and your Bible and maybe a notepad and we're going to get in the Word again today. We've been, like I said, for weeks we've been sharing a series as is our custom kind of on this program to kind of follow a theme or to follow a series. And the more I dig around in this, the bigger it gets. Now, let me just say to you, because you probably maybe are tuning in for the first time, and we're going to be in John chapter 4, the latter part, just a minute. But if you've missed any of these programs, and you want to go back and study them, or look at them in greater detail, or you hear something today uh, that you like, and you'd say, well, I'd really, I need to hear that again. I want you uh, to know there's some good news. And that is that everything we air on this TV program is archived on YouTube. You can watch it at your leisure on demand. And if you've got any kind of a device that gets YouTube, you can watch us right there on YouTube. And uh, you simply uh, can not only watch it on YouTube, but if you say, well, I just don't have time to sit down and watch it, but I spend a lot of time in my car commuting to and from work, or I'm working out on the treadmill or whatever, I've got good news for you again. Everything that we air, the audio portion also goes up on iTunes, and it goes on an RSS feed for your Android device so that you can follow us you can go back and listen to it again, uh, you, you know, and I, I think that is just a uh, an incredible tool that we've been able to utilize, that you can watch this anywhere in the world. And if you have friends that speak another language, our closed captioning on YouTube will translate in every language around the globe. So that's there for you. The easiest way to do that if you want to watch us, is to go to lenhouse.com. That's my website. It's, it'll be on the screen throughout this uh, program. And in the upper right-hand corner, there is a icon of a YouTube, and there's an icon for the uh, Android, and there's an icon for iTunes that you can literally tap it. It will take you directly to our page. While you're there, if you subscribe to the page, which costs you absolutely nothing, uh, it will tell you, uh, it will send you a message every time we upload a new video so that you can watch that. All right, today I want to get back in John chapter 4. We've been talking over the last several weeks about the woman at the well. And, uh, you know, so many powerful things that could be said. I don't want to review too much. I will say this, this whole theme and what is key to me in the Gospel of John is that he says in about the 20th chapter of John, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that believing you would have life through His name. What I really begin to see is the more I begin to dig around in this book, the more I really started seeing He really is giving signs and proofs and miracles that should have affirmed and confirmed, especially to a Jewish audience, that He was Israel's Messiah King who had been promised throughout the Law and the Prophets, and that He was now on the scene. 
I think if you look through all the Gospels, the overriding theme as you look at it is a new exodus is on the horizon and a new leader of a new exodus is now on the scene and his name is Jesus. But this time he's going to lead you out of a bondage, not just a bondage of sin that's included, but out of the bondage of an old covenant system that made a servant out of you and not a son. Now, uh, what I'm going to do is, is, is I'm going to begin reading here in verse 28 here, because as we have built to this series, what we begin to show you in John's Gospel is that Jesus begins to take the very pictures and the very things He does are not just surface. As I read, used to read this and just read over them, and you know you could preach cute little sermons where you extract a thought from them, and it's okay to do that. But the real overriding picture of all of these is a confirmation that Jesus is the Christ, and that Israel's long-awaited King is now on the scene, and a new covenant is about to be given, and the messenger of the covenant whom you seek is now on the scene. And even in the baptism of, of Jesus in the River Jordan signified a crossing over into a different kind of a promised land, and a new exodus was on the scene. And everything that happens uh, that Jesus uh, does throughout that is kind of a, a symbolic of what happened in uh, the Old Testament when God delivered the children of Israel from Egypt by the blood of a spotless lamb in Matthew chapter 3, John said, right, there's the real Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so you see, you know, even the writer of the book of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and he says to them, all of these things, talking about the things that happened to Israel in the wilderness journey and coming out of Egypt, he said, all of these things that happened to them under Moses happened to them for examples for us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now I've, I've done before in series, so I'm not going to go back and ask him to put that on the screen, but the ends of the ages is the ends, plural, of the ages, plural, had come upon, not us, the Corinthian church was the audience that was written to. And the ends of the ages that had come upon them was the back end of the Old Covenant age and the front end of the New Covenant age. And from 30 AD to 70 AD to the final destruction of the temple was exactly a 40-year period. And in that 40 years was literally a picture of the wilderness journey that the children of Israel had taken. But, but everything that they see from the time that Jesus comes on the scene to the destruction of the temple were the, the reality of the shadow. In other words, under the Old Covenant they saw physical barnyard lambs. Jesus is the real Lamb of God. In the Old Covenant they saw, uh, if you will, uh, manna fall in the backyard and God fed them with the bread of heaven. And we'll touch this one more when we get to it in John chapter 6. But Jesus takes the people of, uh, of Israel right after, interestingly enough, the feast of Passover. He brings them out into a wilderness place right after the feast of Passover. They cross a sea, a body of water, and they're in the wilderness. And Jesus takes the bread and blesses it and breaks it 
a very parallel picture to what God did with Moses when He brought them out of Egypt across the sea after the feast of Passover into the wilderness and gave them the manna that fell from heaven. Jesus brings them out after the feast of Passover into a wilderness. They cross the sea, they're in a wilderness, and the Jews said to Him, what sign do you show us that you're the Christ? And, and Jesus said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. But I am the true bread that came down from heaven. In other words, you thought that was the bread, but that's not the bread. I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. That's in my series called The Seven I Am's of Jesus. It's also on YouTube. I am. And right now, I can see Jesus in the middle of this wilderness feeding this multitude of 5,000 men and women and children, and He feeds them with bread, and they say, what shine do you show us? I think Jesus probably looked at them and went, duh, do you not see this is an exact picture of what we did in the wilderness? And I just came to tell you, that's not the bread. I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. And so He showed them this sign. His first sign is at a wedding at Cana. We've talked about this in prior ones. He's showing you something about His own wedding. He's showing you something about a new covenant coming on the scene. It is in that same chapter that He cleanses the temple, and He says, note this because it's important. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it back up again. Now I'm going to talk a lot about the three days and three nights over the next few, few weeks. But he points literally to a physical temple. They're looking at this physical temple, and their carnal mind goes out of the safety zone, because while they're thinking about a natural building temple, he's talking about a spiritual temple. He, this spake he concerning of the temple of his own body. And what he was saying to them is, destroy this temple. You think, in other words, he's looking, I can see him just kind of like this, point at a physical temple saying, you think that's the temple. That's not the temple. I'm the real temple of God. And if you live and move in me, Revelation 21 said, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple thereof. We live in a brand new temple, and that temple is Christ Himself. We are in Christ, and we are in that house of God because of who we are in. And so he points to that, so that you, you, he's pointing them away from a natural interpretation to a spiritual interpretation. Then he comes to, to, to John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes by night, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And the emphasis here is simply this, Nick, your natural genealogy is not enough. Being born of the natural seed of Abraham is not what gets you in the kingdom. You must be born again. Nicodemus is a, is a ruler of the synagogue, and he comes to Jesus by night. Then we open the fourth chapter, and the Samaritan woman comes to Jesus, who is a Gentile, or if you will, she is a person who has mingled with the ten tribes of Israel, who have now become, as it were, a nation that has lost its identity, and they mingled themselves with the seed of men. And so they were to the rest of the Jewish nation, almost as it were, a mongrel breed to them. That's how they viewed it. Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. Now she's a woman who comes by day. She's looking for water. I want you to notice in all of these things, water's involved. Jesus turns water to wine. He tells Nicodemus, you need to be born of the water and of the Spirit. 
he tells uh, the woman at the well, I have water to drink that you know not of. All of this is pointing to spiritual things because he's saying to them, listen, Nicodemus, you've turned to religion for what you thought could satisfy the inner desire of your heart, and you've come away disappointed. He comes to a woman who has given herself to the world and to five husbands, and the one she's with now is not her husband, and she's looked for love in all the wrong places, and she's not satisfied either. Jesus points her to a well, because the answer to the dilemma of both sides of this is, religion can't satisfy you, and the world cannot satisfy you. But Jesus is about to say to them, I have water to drink, and if you ask me, I will give you a drink and you will never thirst again. You will lose your appetite for what you think was satisfying you before. And so there's a shift that you can kind of see. He keeps on showing them these signs. And I would also say this to you, that the Samaritan woman is also, I believe, the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 37, where he tells him in the vision in Ezekiel, take the two sticks, the stick of Judah, and Benjamin and the stick of the ten tribes, and rejoin them back together, because there's going to come a seed out of the royal lineage of David who's going to bring about a new covenant and a new tabernacle and a new way of being new creation. And he's going to uh, come on the scene, and he's going to restore both of those. I believe that's the picture of what's happening here in the Gospel of John, is that the new covenant becomes inclusive because it's not just about Jew or Gentile or Samaritan and Jewish people. It's about a restoration of both Jew, Gentile, bond-free, Greek, male, female, being brought together as one in Christ, who is the king after the royal seed of David, who is now on the scene. And Israel's king is here. And everything about what's happening with these signs and wonders are proofs and signposts that should have declared to Israel, our new king is on the scene. It is in that setting that this woman leaves her water pots, and she goes back into the city. And I'm going to pick up there in John 4. This is verse 28. It says, And the woman left her water pot, and went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Now, I think it is ironic and incredible that a Gentile woman could recognize from these few moments of encounter she had that Jesus was the Christ. And the Jews are seeing miracles and signs and wonders one right after the other, and they are not getting the picture. Either that or they have just become so hardened and so unreceptive because Jesus did not come on the scene the way they thought he would come. Now let me just say this. Uh, there's just so much rolling in my spirit as I begin to talk here today. The woman left her water pot. I would say to you, are you willing to leave your water pot? Are you willing to leave what you think used to satisfy you? I am finding more and more today a thirst among even religious people who have turned to what they thought was God, and they've left disappointed. And I'm also finding people, see, I don't want to leave this out either, because I am finding people who've turned to everything you could imagine in the world 
from substance abuse to alcoholism to all kinds of relationships. And they too are not satisfied. And somewhere in your journey, your thirst for something real gets so deep that you're willing to leave your water pot. I've talked to pastors even today that are finding a new journey in God as they are literally able to walk away from what they thought was a water pot of religion, and they are finding a real satisfying drink of water that comes from the water of life that He gives to us freely. One that's inclusive. One that comes because we receive Him as Messiah and King. And, you know, I think so many times that, that Israel missed their King because they were looking for Him to come in some kind of a revolt that would lead a, uh, a, a, a revolt against the Roman Empire and overthrow them. And because the kingdom didn't come the way their preconceived ideas were, they were missing it, and they were disappointed. I wonder today if many people are not looking for some kind of physical fulfillment of the kingdom perhaps like a government overthrow or, or passing enough rules and laws uh, to make, let's say, the United States become uh, forcefully Christian and we pass our laws and try to force and legislate it. Let me tell you something. I do believe that laws are just for the ungodly, but you cannot legislate righteousness. If laws would have produced the kingdom, then Moses had the best ones written down that you could ever find, and that's the commandments. And let me tell you that what happened was that did not produce the kingdom. It just brought men to the end of themselves where they realized there was none righteous, not even one. That's where the kingdom of God and the government of heaven and the inworking of the Holy Spirit begins to do the work to produce uh, the righteousness and uh, the, the, that, that is the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And so, you know, even John the Baptist is having a crisis of faith the night before his decease. He's in his cell and he says to his disciples, go ask him, are you the one or should we look for another? Now remember, John's the guy standing on the bank of the Jordan River going, right there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but now he's about to lose his head. And frankly, John is disappointed in what he's seeing and he's not certain. He said, go ask him, are you the one? Should we look for another? Because, you know, I think what happens is, is, and then Jesus' answer, you would think Jesus would at least give him a blunt answer, say, go tell John, yes, I'm the one. But that's not what he does. He said, go tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. In other words, remind John of the Isaiah passages Remind John of my first public message, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to, uh, to, to declare the year of the favor of our God. John comes with the Malachi concept of God, that He'll come like refiner's fire and like fuller's soap, and He'll purge the sons of Levi. And there'll be a, you know, in other words, He's thinking judgment and, 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 and lightning flashing and catastrophes that were part of the Messianic prophecy. And they would in fact come to pass in A.D. 70 when the Jews would reject their Messiah King who's now on the scene. But Jesus said, you go tell John 
the Isaiah passage. First of all, I came to declare the year of the favor of God. If you read that Isaiah passage where Jesus preached the acceptable year of the Lord, he says, in the year of the favor of our God. And in Isaiah's passage, it says, and the day of the vengeance of our God. But Jesus purposefully leaves that out in his first public message in the temple because he's not declaring vengeance yet. He's declaring the year of favor. The day of vengeance doesn't come until Luke's gospel talks about the Olivet Discord and, uh, that happened in AD 70. And he said, these things, are these these be the days of vengeance so that all things that were written might be fulfilled. But for before that, He is giving Israel and every human the possibility to see that He came with the intent and purpose of opening the eyes of the blind to heal the, the lame who would leap like a heart and the tongue of the dove would talk. And He sent Him first to be the rescuer with the mis- mission of rescuing and the salvation project of God being ongoing. And they were missing that because they were looking for this concept of this vicious God who was about to kill everybody and blow up the world, so to speak. And John's thinking was on that. And Jesus said, go back and tell him this, tell him the blind see. In other words, remind John of the Isaiah passage. And when Jesus even stands before Caiaphas, he said, are you the king of Israel? And Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. In other words, you all keep on looking for somebody to come with swords and spears and overthrow the Romans, and that's not the kind of kingdom that I'm bringing. And that's not the kind of kingdom that I'm preaching. I'm trying to tell you that Jesus said, I didn't come to bring a sword in, in, in the sense that He came to He said, if my servants, if, if my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. Now just because His kingdom is not of this world does not mean it's not for this world. And He tells, the, he tells uh, Caiaphas, he says this. He says to them, he says to him, uh, my, my servants would fight. And he says to them uh, that I am. And, and Caiaphas asks him, tell us plainly. He says, I am. In other words, I am the king that you're waiting on. And Jesus says this, and this is what made Caiaphas render his clothes. I just saw this the other day. Jesus looks at Caiaphas and he said, from henceforth, talking to Caiaphas, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and you will see Him seated at the right hand of the Father. And Caiaphas rent his clothes. Now let me tell you that what what we don't realize when we're reading over this is that Jesus referred to Himself most of the time as the Son of Man. Now that terminology is used real strong in the book of Daniel especially when Daniel was prophesying in chapter 7, he said, I saw one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. See, sometimes when we hear cloud comings, we think about strata, you know, strata, the stratosphere and the, and the clouds up here. But he's talking about clouds of glory. And, he, and this coming here, coming on a cloud, was not him coming to the earth to get you. It was him coming in a cloud appearing before the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter 7 where he, he received the kingdom. It was his coronation as king where he was set at the right hand of the Father. And at that same moment that the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom would be given to the people of the saints 
of the Most High at that point. So when Caiaphas heard him say, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, Caiaphas the high priest knew he was quoting a Daniel passage that took him right to the place of the throne room and identifying with the Son of God. And he's talked about one like a Son of Man all through the book of Daniel chapter 7. And Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Now we may not grasp and grip what's being said, but I promise you Caiaphas did. He knew what this guy's saying is, I'm the new king of Israel. I'm here on the scene. And every sign that I've given you up to this point should have been a flag post and a signpost that said, the kingdom is here. And if that's not enough for you, when Jesus is casting out devils, he literally says to them, when they're about to blaspheme the Holy Ghost, Israel as a nation is about to blaspheme and say, you're cast out devils by the prince of the devils. And Jesus says, if Satan cast out Satan, his kingdom is divided. And he goes on to say to them, if I by the finger of God cast out devils, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. And the proof that the kingdom was alive and well, clear back then was the fact that Jesus was casting out devils. I ask you, are you missing the kingdom today because you're waiting on what you think is some millennial concept that you have or some religious idea of the kingdom? Maybe the kingdom of God's alive and well on planet earth right now. Maybe what he's saying to you is it's time to leave your water pot and see that the purpose and mission now of the church is to be a part of God's great recovery program of bringing new creation realities and awareness to a world who desperately needed a Savior who's now on the scene to bring the kingdom of God to it. And this is not some government in the White House or a government that was being set up in Palestine. It is the government of heaven, the kingdom of God that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells and lives in the life of the believer. And from that point on it becomes organic for the kingdom of God is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until the whole thing was leavened. This woman recognizes, is not this the Christ? I hope you can come to that conclusion and quit waiting on something. I think sometimes our preconceived ideas of what we think it's going to be like are so different that we're missing the present reality of the kingdom. Don't let that be you. Awake to righteousness and sin no more. You're a citizen right now of the kingdom of God and the dominion and the kingdom and the greatness that has been given to the people, the saints of the Most High. What are you going to do with your dominion? I think it's time to exercise it. Well, we're out of time. We'll come back and pick up again next week. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like what we're preaching and you are enjoying it, please don't just sit on the sidelines. We really do need your help to stay on the air and take this gospel around the world. If you'd like to do that, there's a number on the screen that you can call. There's a place where you can text to give. You could go to our website. It's very easy. And there's a place there where you can give via credit card, debit card, or PayPal. There's a place where you can sign up for a recurring payment if you'd like to become a monthly partner. Your partnership is truly needed. And if you'd like to give a one-time gift, you can do that as well. Uh, also, you can send check or more order to the address that will come on the screen. We do need your help. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. 
In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.